0: Flourishing Education, the podcast where I share the powerful imperfectly perfect conversations with disruptors of the education system in the UK and beyond. I would really like to encourage you to take a listen and see what's possible as I ask the question, how can we change the way we educate and parent our children and young people so that they can truly become flourishing curious Lifelong learners and young adults. I hope you enjoy these episodes as much as I've enjoyed recording them and creating them. Please do not hesitate to connect with me on LinkedIn, Fabian Vells, and/or and/or on Twitter at FlourishingHE. And please let me know what's your favorite episode or favourite part of the podcast. I look forward to hearing from you, and in the meantime, I truly hope you are thriving and flourishing, wishing you a fabulous day wherever you are in the world. Hello, and welcome to another Imperfectly Perfect conversation for the flourishing and in- education podcast this conversation is series two so it's another conversation with a another young person and and students and today I'm delighted to welcome Cindy Lau a very warm welcome to the podcast Cindy.
1: Hi uh, my name is Cindy and uh, yeah I'm very happy to be here as well with Fabienne yeah, wonderful.
0: So, for the listeners, Cindy is is uh, is someone I I know quite well because uh, she's one of my former students. So, before we press record, I was saying how it's going to be a bit strange that we're going to be speaking English, right? Because yeah, we, we normally speak French together. Yeah. Um, but for the purpose of this podcast, obviously, we'll just we'll go with English. Um. <laughs> yeah. And so, Cindy, would you kindly share with, and I know a little bit about you, but obviously our listeners don't. So would you kindly share a little bit about yourself? So where you currently find yourself in the world um, and maybe a little bit about your journey thus far?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Cindy Lau, as mentioned. Um, well, I'm currently in uh, Warwick because I study at the University of Warwick. But before that, I spent two years in Bristol studying my A-levels. And Fabienne, who was also one of my teachers who taught me French. And then before that, um, I basically was born and grown up in Hong Kong. And for my journey thus far, I'd say that uh, throughout most of my academic journey, I've kind of been that type of person who uh, always strive to achieve maybe academic validation, that type. And um, and also, but having met uh, Fabienne during my uh, A-levels, I kind of have like a different perception of... Um, education and academics in general so yeah uh but i'd say that currently um maybe i would be more focused on competing with myself rather than others which is one thing that Fabienne has brought up with me during our conversations um even though it was in french but yeah that's that's uh, my journey thus far yeah amazing thank you
0: cindy um and it's it's so lovely to to just hear you talk about our conversations and how yeah. in, a, in a way it's had it's had a, an impact on like how you view education. I found that really moving because for me yeah. it's like okay great, it's like wonderful to to see how we can start viewing education differently. So it's all sort of really exciting. Um. So, shall we linger a little bit around your experience before university? Right. Yeah. So, you grew up in Hong Kong, and then yeah. you arrived in England, um, mm-hmm. in Bristol to obviously do your A levels. Yeah. So, do you want to share with us your experience, like the contrast perhaps between um what it was like to to be a student in Hong Kong, and then when you arrived in in England? Were there any differences, or anything that you found?
1: uh more challenging or easier yeah sure so um actually when i was back in hong kong i also um i was in two different uh, education streams so when i first started my primary school i was in a local hong kong primary school so obviously chinese was the main language and um and at the homework and study it's much more rigorous in a way and then for uh my secondary school career i was mostly uh placed in an international school in hong kong but they followed the british curriculum so i did my gcses my international gcses in hong kong um i would say that the switch from the local there's a lot of stigma against uh surrounding international school people because obviously it's a fee paying school but also uh people there speak uh, english mainly so it's kind of has a sense that um the international school kids are a bit more arrogant because we speak mainly English. But I think um, that I was I was much more happier, but I was also feel really privileged to be able to study at an international school. Obviously, it's fee-paying, but I think that it allows more space for you to be a bit more creative. And uh, I think my teachers have also noticed that my confidence in speaking has um, improved over the years since going to an international school. And uh, I think with the um, element of having a bit less homework that really helped and the focus is more on maybe doing more presentation and interacting and collaborating with others so I think that was one of the main aspects that I found was much more rewarding when I went to an international school and then when I came from Hong Kong uh, to the UK it was also another change because um, the environment was also quite different um, and even though in the school at Bristol, I found a lot of people who come from Hong Kong, uh, I was a day student there. So I actually had a bit of a hard time at the start to like make any friends because I did. I felt like I didn't really fit in with the um, Hong Kong uh, students at the start because they were mostly from local school. Um, and then for the local British uh, uh, classmates, um, they were also... they. It's also like there's this... Um, British that I, I, I didn't really I was a bit foreign to at the start but um I think slowly I just realized that because these people they they have an international outlook so later on when you start communicating with them and anyway you start having uh common topics such as school you will be able to find that uh, you're actually able to communicate a bit uh, easier with them later on but I think the big challenges at the start was to um like the approach to British culture and also uh, my school back in Hong Kong, the international school was originally going to do IB instead of the A-levels. So I was more, I was a bit, uh, but then I think having done IGCSE, the um, it's quite easy to adapt to the A-levels system, even though it actually felt a lot more freer because I'm only doing, doing three subjects. But I also felt like um, the school that I went to in Bristol, it was... I I do feel like it's very much different from other schools in the UK because there was only 59 people in our cohort and I found that really uh, shocking. I didn't even know that before I went to the school in Bristol. I didn't know that there's only like 60 people in our year and I thought that um, I mean it's good in a way where there's uh, everyone knows each other and we're quite a close uh, group but also it just feels like we're a bit uh, too sheltered I'd say because a lot of people they don't they they only live inside a bubble of the school in Bristol but uh, elsewhere they wouldn't um, they wouldn't know like a lot of things outside and they wouldn't have met as much people so in a way it's a bit like out of touch I would say but I think it also maybe fosters this closeness uh, amongst like the uh, students so yeah that, that's a big difference yeah I'd say.
0: Amazing and like so you so much so richness in what you've shared right in terms of like the the culture shock when you arrive like both and what I love about your description is that culture shock can actually happen still in in the culture we were born yeah. in right so moving from a you know Hong, local Chinese mm-hmm. of you know Hong Kong Duke school to a more international school yeah. to then moving to the UK so if we linger with that culture shock and like the the, the change
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, what I love about what you were saying when you were talking what popped up for me was two words paradoxical thinking mm. in the sense that there's almost like two paradoxes like two 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 elements that could be seen are almost polar opposites when you're you're describing it so like small but actually like then that that smallness which can be really like oh it just puts you in a little bubble is actually also great because it's easier to make friends right in the mm-hmm. long run and to feel yeah. close to people because you know them. There's also the you know there's a privilege, but it's fee paying, right? Yeah. So it's sort of like they, there's a lot. To me, I'm hearing a lot of tensions. Yeah. What you're describing. Is that just me reading into what you've said, or was that also true for you, or is it also true for you?
1: I think it's uh very very true I think especially with the fee paying and privilege bit because I know that a lot of people uh in Hong Kong they would love to be able to receive the education provided by the um international schools because they just don't fit in the local curriculum where you constantly being uh there's constant pressure on you but the uh the the thing at the trade-off is that your parents might not have that uh, financial support and it's very hard to see that these people would just have to stick to the local system and but then which they don't enjoy and they don't they can't flourish in that system and there's really little opportunities especially in Hong Kong for these people to actually maybe shine so it's uh I think when, whenever um I hear some local school people start talking about that, I do feel a bit uncomfortable because I do think that, yeah, I'm. it's, it's like you're born into fam- the family that uh, has a, a natural maybe disposition that you can go to this route and you have an option, but for them it's harder. So I do really sympathize with them, even though I can't exactly help with them. So, yeah, I would really agree with what you said about the paradoxics. Like, yeah
0: yeah and I think I think it's recognizing I mean you know I I I taught in 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 the school where you went and and for me it was a real a real like oh it's so lovely to teach there and it's just like you know because of those small classes and because of the environment, and uh you know it was a just most beautiful environment to be in right for learning and and when you've only got like i had literally two of you doing a levels at french yeah you know, in french what a like as a as a as a teacher what a gift and two young women who were just so passionate about french so it was just like really really lovely um and so amazing i love coming in to have sessions with you but on the other hand i didn't it didn't sit easy with me because i just think you know i absolutely have nothing against in, you know independent schools and and with with private education I, I completely understand why they are here particularly because a lot of the the families you know are not satisfied with the system as it is but to me i i would love everybody to have access to mm. to to those independent schools right nothing against Eton and mm-hmm. the parliament they've <laughs> built it, it you know to to name one but actually i would love everybody to have a mini parliament so they can practice um mm. <laughs> what their people are <laughs> able to practice right mm. so it, and and i know it's it's slightly utopian and maybe it's a little bit too you know i'm maybe too much of an optimist but i just there's a part of me that would just love to see the what we get from independent schools like the because you know independent schools are amazing in the sense that they're drivers of innovation online they? they're just mm-hmm. like there's so much innovative uh approaches or things that are, you are given uh mm-hmm. even in their approach of like the teaching and the exams that you can take that i think know we could definitely learn from
1: from that yeah yeah I would totally agree as well um but yeah it's just always seems like only the ones that have the financial ability can afford to access these things when maybe the people who need these things the most might be those from disadvantaged backgrounds because they haven't um uh, they haven't um they haven't seen much so they haven't yeah they haven't experienced it much so yeah it does seems like this disparity is very very unfair yeah
0: and then also what i found really interesting when i was there is that the challenges that young people experience in an independent school are not so different from what other young people are experiencing in a mainstream school so to me when i i went there I could see the same struggles that I was see, seeing with young young uh you know teenage with teenagers, young people who were actually not always flourishing hmm. so um could could we pause there a little bit around the you know what from your perspective you thought were some of the challenges that you and your peers experienced? I mean you mentioned the uh, not competing against others for example but competing with with yourself and like shifting how you approach things are there other things that were striking for you that like you could see young people were experiencing in in your school
1: um I'd say that because the school that I went to in Bristol it was very much um academically based so um I think that I could definitely see a few people who are much more on the creative arts side they were struggling with the academics and even though some teachers obviously were able to give help because it was such a small class it doesn't feel like the support is fully there and um, there's kind of some uh, limited opportunities for these uh, people as well to like uh, venture out to do more that interest side and also i think partially it could also be because their families really want them to be academic so they put them in the mainstream a level side where the school doesn't actually offer the creative subjects as for them and they're just stuck there and they have to uh constantly been a class full of uh, other people who are very academically driven and they are falling behind whilst the others are getting maybe A's and B's and then they're looking at themselves getting D's and E's and it just kind of they just always is uh, feeling defeated by that and it's just a bit disheartening to see that this is how it has become because it seems like uh schools all schools and maybe the society still values those who are who, do, who does well in academics whereas creative minds are perhaps um uh seen as uh less less uh less a bit more inferior to these yeah
0: and i think that points to something that i think i found quite not not surprising because obviously at I'd seen and, and, and heard of it in my research but then when I arrived the conversation that I was having so I think my job in that school was amazing because I had the the privilege of being the teaching assistant yeah. where it's much more relaxed and yeah. so the young people come in and they just they, they, they share more openly because it's a it's a fun more playful environment yeah and then I was also a teacher in particular teacher of a year nine class And so I definitely saw that the that challenge between the more academic and less academic, you know, Mm -hmm. those who are more more creative um, and almost a divide like that somehow we we tend to to privilege the the academic much more. and what i found really interesting is that the, the when i was some of the conversations in french we were having you know were things like oh so what's next you know after your gcses for example and they, a lot of the conversations were i was i want to be a lawyer i want to be a te- uh, uh, a doctor i want to you know and i found that really interesting because <laughs> um of of course it's it's I I mean I don't know this is my bias and I'll completely own it because I come from the arts you know I'm a language teacher and languages are not always valued as being something that's really beneficial certainly here in England yeah. Uh, perhaps because people see it as more of a challenging subject to learn I don't know I'm not sure Um, but it's this whole idea of you know arts less less interesting or positive and and stem much better right we push that much more um and so i don't know is that also your experience of the you know are we are we driving the stem the medicine the lawyer because it's a you know success means Mm -hmm. more money good job all of those things i mean i often wondered whether these young people really truly had a passion from law for law, um, or or for being a doctor, or or if it was really just because that's that's one job and I know it's a job that that pays well. I mean I don't know. I, maybe it's not an either or. It's an and. I don't know. I
1: think um, I think that is also quite interesting because even though we said that um, academics is definitely more valued than the creative arts. But I think that even in academics, in the, because I mean, studying a language in school, you could kind of say that it's quite academic, but even in the academics, there's also a hierarchy of which subjects are more valued than the others. And if you study that, you'd be seen as um, less smart than someone else. So... Um, yeah it's it's quite it's quite interesting and also um, I think the other day my in university my flatmates they were talking about what degrees are Mickey Mouse degrees like saying that it's it's a, a less value than the others and I just think that um, I think this perception is very um, prevalent in um, universities and also society in general because when people tell uh, when, when we ask each other about what degrees they're doing, and if someone says a degrees, uh, that is more science-based, such as maybe, um, like, STEM-based, like, maths, or computer science, or medicine, you would think that, oh, wow, you're very, very smart then, like that, and whereas someone who does, like, languages, they would kind of say, oh, okay, like that, so their response is very much, uh, different, and I think, um, I'm partially guilty with of that because I'm doing a law degree as well, even though I sometimes think that maybe my true passion was to do languages like that. So that's why I kind of switched my degree from law to like law with French law as well. So I kind of included that aspect. But um I do think that also a reason for that is maybe the education system puts, young people at a place where they have to decide what they want to what they want to do um at a very early age it's almost like a special like you have to choose a specialization at the age of 16 when you want to choose your subjects for a level you have to already think about what you're going to do for university because if you choose the wrong subjects you might not be able to apply for certain subjects and you finish your exams at the age of 18 and you go into start to specialize in something from the age of 18 like that and onwards you're just geared towards this path and this geared towards this goal of maybe becoming a doctor becoming a lawyer um so maybe it just puts a lot of pressure on young people and that's age 16 I mean you're just going to turn again turn towards your parents to ask them what do you think what do you think you should, I should do what do you think I should do I don't know from my GCSE scores it seems like I'm good at this and this so maybe I should choose this so and a lot of times maybe parents um especially parents of kids maybe at private schools they have really uh big ambitions for their children as well so they would definitely I know my parents are also of that they would want me to do something professional so something that's definitely not looked down upon and maybe but I do understand that it's also potentially because they want me to have a secure um career so that's why they pick professionals but often professionals mean things like lawyers and doctors so yeah I think it's both a system and parental pressures mixed together but mainly how um the system is gearing us towards specializing at something that's so um so niche at a at a really young age I think yeah so yeah yeah, this would be Totally, I so totally resonate with that,
0: and and it's interesting, isn't it? Because professional, I think teachers are professionals. Yeah, <laughs> and yet we don't value being a teacher as much yeah. as being a lawyer or doctor, right? So yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, and and you mentioned Mickey Mouse degrees and <laughs> and the you know being now at university and that shift that you you've you've made towards like doing law and French, mm-hmm. so um. I would love us to sort of go there. Before that, I would say what you've described for me is what I've written a lot in my research around, I've always felt that our current schooling system in England is very much gearing our young people to convey about, uh, you know, SATs, GCSE, A-levels, holy grail, that is university, right? Yeah. Um, that's the expectation. I mean, you know you look at the data set one in two go to a higher uh, education uh, you know institution. Um, you know it doesn't have to be a university, but it can be sort of equivalent to higher yeah. education. So one in two, one in four will get a fast that those are the data sets. You know, that speaks volume, I think. And so, of course, then we have this notion of there are Mickey Mickey Mouse degrees. (laughs) I find, I mean, that's such a weird narrative. Yeah. It's like, so... Um, and then this what you said so beautifully like oh but if you if you do languages you know you're not seeing that it's not a wow factor right Doing yeah. languages, and yet um your ability to speak fluently in in french with me and to have really deep debates like we were having that requires so many like you, the cognitive skills and the understanding, I mean, like all of that to me points to a misunderstanding rather than actually, uh, you know, it's, it feels very much like surface level rather than like when you're a linguist, you you start and you do, you know, you, you speak several languages, you start looking at the culture iceberg, right? And you want to go deeper. Um, and so I wonder if, in what you're describing there is the surface level where we just like we go with what is expected of us in our societies which is you know holy grail uni you know we choose a professional path because we want to have a secured future right all of those things mm-hmm. um and sometimes if we academically we can't go on that path of, you know, holy grail that preferably is Oxbridge first and then Russell Group universities. And then if you're unlucky, then you go to a post-92 universities, which is also the underspoken thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, in independent schools, I, I often, I was also in the school where I went, I was really interested in how often students were gearing up to go to Oxford, Cambridge first um and and the pressure that comes with going to to that space or to that place even if it might not be the right place for you right as an individual so could we linger there because obviously i know you've had your own experience of applying to university um so if you're willing would you share with us whether that also resonates with you do you feel that that's like more more also the the pathway that like preferably you know oxbridge or you know cambridge oxford and then the other choices
1: yeah yeah sure so um i remember when i was applying for university uh in the school in bristol half of the year applied to oxbridge 20 some in the uh, whole year group where there's uh, 59 people 20 people or 20 something people applied uh, to Oxbridge and obviously very small amount of people got in. Um and I think it was also um just a very stressful and uh stressful process that and it's also very and there's a lot of uncertainty as well. I know that I also did <laughs> I also applied to Cambridge. Um but it was also more of like an Oh, other people also doing it I've got the grades so why don't I try it as well and even people who haven't got the grades they were begging teachers to hopefully raise their grade uh their predicted grades so that they could apply for um Oxbridge and I just found it really and then when they got the rejection before interview it was also a bit disheartening because you waste you were um taking a, you were focusing on that application for so long that maybe you who have neglected a lot of different things so it was just a bit um it was just yeah it was just a very weird time where we see everyone uh so focused on this and listening to all the talks and attending a lot of these like oxbridge interviews uh preparation masterclass like that but you know in the end that only like a few people can get in but everyone's just doing it because everyone's doing it like that and maybe but I think that it was also a good experience in terms of you're able to see how it the process actually is because I've experienced it but um it would be quite unnecessary I'd say for a lot of people and even uh when they get in you have to start thinking of the uh additional pressure that you have if you actually got into the institution I met a girl in my uh, course who is um uh, who's French and uh she said that actually she got into Oxford law but she didn't go and chose to come to work instead and I was I was a bit shocked and I was asking her why it is and she shared with me that um already when she was in France her lycée had already uh been one of the best in the country so she was um she couldn't go to sleep until like 3 a.m every day because of all the workload and she believes that it was going to get worse if she actually got to Oxford so she does that uh, she decided not to go and prioritize her mental health and I think that is very much um that's very uh I really, it's very admirable for her to take such a step because obviously there's other uh, pressures from maybe family that says, if you go in, why don't you just go there? Like it will have such a good like name recognition as well. But I think uh, being able to, it's quite brave also to be able to like um, prioritize something like your mental health, which is something that may be still not as widely recognized amongst the perhaps a bit older generation that you prioritize your mental health first and choose something that's a choose a school that might suit you uh, a bit more something like that and yeah just this whole Oxbridge thing it's 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 quite unnecessary I think for some people but um, at the same time maybe um if you have the uh if you have the require you meet the requirements it's you could try it but just I feel like there should be a precaution that you need to you can't um be crazy. You can't be obsessed with it. If you're obsessed with it, then it's not worth it. Yeah, I'd say that.
0: And I think this is this is so spot on because again, like what I'm hearing is is not a an either or. It's not a you know. So I think, fifty nine. You know, half applied you know how many actually got in because the reality is it's so competitive to get to oxford cambridge and to some extent it's also competitive to get to russell group universities yeah. right um and because there's such a big demand which Mm -hmm. means that um you know yes it is challenging and you have to do all these exams but like to me it's like this crazy like we've got to prepare and do all of those things and put ourselves in the a lot of pressure but it's also a good experience because if you experience the the um the disappointments right Mm -hmm. of um you know one of my my most um surprising thing when i returned to higher education after almost 10 years and i saw the low subjective well-being of young people is how often i encounter young people who've never experienced any um disappointments so they've never it's almost like everything has been cleared out of their path and that the path is a path of success like you know i um, where i worked was a russell group university a good russell group university for languages you know we attracted eight percent of the of the linguists in the country so very often good grades like young young people with great good grades um and i think a lot of them have never experienced what it is to fail or to make mistakes Um, and then suddenly when you experience it it's a massive shock to the system Mm. right because it hurts it really hurts it's like you know if you've never fallen or hurt yourself and suddenly you break a bone it's really hard right
1: yeah 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 yeah, I think but also I think this thing it's um, maybe it's a bigger thing with private school um, students perhaps that uh, not having um experiencing failure and then actually experiencing it, it it hurts much bigger. And it's it's almost like you cannot accept it that failure is something that you will go through. And it's also a bit um saddening that the failure as the older you get and the less failure that you've uh, encountered. And when you encounter a big failure at a older age, maybe around 18, it's much more detrimental compared to when you have been through failure a bit at an earlier age. I think this is what a lot of private school um, students go through. And and it's immediately going to amount to like a mental breakdown, which is uh, very unfortunate. But also, um, there's just not a lot of opportunities for you to fail that, I feel like. And so... I I don't know, maybe perhaps there's something that the education system could be could could be uh links to with failure. Yeah.
0: Mm, yeah, I agree. I mean that that for me, like the the key traits of a lot of young people is is, you know, perfectionism, yeah. fear of failure, imposter syndrome, um, you know, Mm-hmm. This need to compare oneself to others, you know, all of those things, and I think they stem from not just in independent schools. I would, uh, you know, argue I think it's because naturally we we live in a. I mean, like switch on the TV and watch the the TV programs. It's all about competing, like you know, all of the programs, and it's all about the focus on and look at what happens when you fail. You're you're humiliated out of the competition very often right like there's a big focus on how the individual feels when they've failed and like the camera spins on them and like you see their emotions it's all geared to make you feel really uncomfortable around mm-hmm. failure and mistakes when when it's part of life like you yeah. know it, it's uh, um and there's one point I wanted us to explore to talk about your experience when now you're at Warwick and it's Something that I've noticed a lot with with HE, uh, you know, higher universities, higher education institutions and universities is the fact that before Oxford and Cambridge and Russell groups were very much attracting a lot more of independent school young people. So actually, I I think it would be really interesting to look at the data set to see how many in the past out of those 59 or 20 young people who applied actually got in compared to these days, because I sense, I mean, and this is just anecdotal, so I haven't looked at the data sets, but I sense from talking to young people like yourself and other students that the number is lower, as in, now Russell Group Universities and Oxford and Cambridge are actually opening their, broadening their their um, cohorts in terms of diversity. So div- diversifying, you know, in terms of EDI, they're obviously opening the doors to a lot more young people. So is that also your feeling? Or, or do you feel differently about this that, the, that there's less less opportunities for for you know like before it's almost like it almost feels in a way that parents are paying all this amount of money to get you through an education to get to the holy grail that is oxford or Cambridge or a good university what we deem as a good university and more and more that's less likely to happen
1: yeah um i've I think uh this view is also one that's not shared by many but I do kind of have the feeling that um actually if there's even cases where some people who used to be in uh private schools in their sixth form have switched to uh a better or like a grammar school or a state funded school because they feel that as if if they are from like a um uh, more from a state funded schools it might increase their chances of getting into oxbridge i am unsure if that's true but um that's what people have been doing and um i think that it seems like uh, oxbridge are trying to maybe uh branch out a bit more to uh reach more uh to to appeal don't appear as if they're only caring for the private school uh kids because it shows that I've read somewhere where Cambridge, there's 60 something percent state educated people. And there's even in um in I think in Oxford, there's also a college that is over 90% state school uh, kids that go that uh, goes there. So um it seems like they're trying to advertise this a bit more, but also I think people say that while well, there's only around seven percent of people in the country that goes to private schools yet uh, um there's a lot of these people get into oxford so even there's 60 something percent that um are state school people the other 40 something percent are uh private school people and these 40 something percent comes from just that seven percent from the from the country so there is still a disparity but i think uh wrestle groups they're uh trying to and oxford they're trying to um they are making an effort, but because their um, admissions uh, procedure is very much unknown, we don't really know what goes into the process when they make the decision. And also um, because traditionally, I think some Russell Group universities and Oxbridge have this reputation of uh, being just a lot of private school people. So this also scares uh, some state school people away from applying. I know that obviously, st andrews durham exeter have this reputation so in there there might be also less state school people applying to those unis because of that reputation itself yeah and
0: it's interesting because then there's a deeper conversation to be had that is not just about surface level but it's the you know the inherent, um you know how come that's how it is right Mm -hmm. like in terms of if you go back historically who used to go to to universities in you know in those big universities like oxford and cambridge the older universities that have been going for a long time um and very often this is linked with that idea of privilege right and yeah. the, the selected few and and all of those things um and I think it, it almost loops back to what you were talking about, which is the, the culture shock. So I've often sort of spoken to students uh, where I think young people, when they move from A levels, regardless of the school, to university, it's a real culture shock because you're entering a completely new setting where you know you have to learn academic writing. It's like learning a foreign language. It's quite challenging, right, sometimes to write academically and to write essays in a way that is so different from what you're expected to do at A-levels. And so it's almost like I wonder whether we would all benefit from coming together and having more of the conversation like we're having to discuss the going deeper into the the culture iceberg so we can truly start challenging things because what you alluded to about your you know like the young person who's from a mainstream school and when i had a conversation with ben um who is in in you know in one of the oxbridge sort of you know russell group uh not russell group but i think they are russell group on the oxford and Cambridge, yeah. Yeah. Um, to the tops of russell group uh university in our country or seen as uh being he said there's that the, we talked about Bourdieu's, uh, you know, knowledge, sort of uh, concept of cult- cultural capital, the fact that if you, you are from a specific background, then you know how to navigate the, the system much more than if you're not. Um, so I don't know. I wonder whether we could linger there a little bit in terms of your own experience coming from Hong Kong when you arrived in your school, for example, and then navigating those systems and then moving to university, um, whether there's anything that that comes up for you in terms of that cultural capital.
1: Yeah, um, I think that with um, people who are perhaps with a more privileged backgrounds or who goes to uh, private schools, there does seem to be um more resources, and the teachers maybe seems a bit more experienced into guiding uh these uh these people through education system and maybe what courses you should take and then perhaps guidance on maybe some entrance tests and how you can prepare for them. there's I know that uh I also had to do an entrance test, and there was specifically a teacher who could do these entrance tests like. master classes with us and they also know perhaps um different uh maybe there'll be teachers who are specialized in certain areas who could look at like personal statements and give really subject specific feedback to students whereas um in a uh mainstream school there could be less of that and because of the number of the cohort a lot of them are just left to uh themselves to try to see what what they can research online so there's really not this uh this much support but also in a way with private schools because of that much support it seems very spoon-fed and when we go to university which is totally not spoon-fed and all you're left on your own devices and sometimes you might struggle to find what you want if you're uh, constantly being supported throughout your um, secondary school career so there's I think there's two ways of that, but definitely for people come from mainstream schools, it's much more, it's much harder process for them, especially navigating through university applications at the start. Yeah, it is.
0: Yeah, totally. And then what I'm hearing is, it's like, it's truly systemic in a sense that no doubt the you know, if I talk, if I think about my own experience of going to work in one independent school, I went back because I didn't want a lot of responsibilities and I pulled away from my job in a good, you know, in in a university doing a a good job, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted, so I actually went to that independent school with a wealth of experience under my belt, right? And so, that means that in effect those schools can attract teachers who have a lot more experience than perhaps a a mainstream school can right because of funding and and things like that
1: yeah yeah I'd say that's also very interesting where you see that in uh, mainstream school the teachers they're obviously very much qualified but people they're people would judge, oh, does that teacher come from a Russell Group University, maybe, which shouldn't really matter because the quality of the teaching is the more important one. And often people who are very, uh who have really good like research background, they might just be really focused on the research, but actually not really good at teaching. So, and then ultimately, whatever Russell Group University you go to, it's, it's kind of the same, like you end up like pretty much the same place as like a lot of people do but there's yeah this uh like concept concept of if you go to a Russell group university you must be good like so and also private schools have a selection of this and people think oh if they have such good teaching like such good rep like such good um backgrounds from whatever schools they went to then they must be good so yeah it's it's pretty like amusing that this is how the way it works yeah
0: yeah and it's almost like it's not what you know but it's who you know in effect right yeah.
1: <laughs> it's also the network that, that oh holds. yes yeah mm. totally
0: yeah wonderful so what about your experience obviously you've been at university now mm-hmm. or so what are we almost um you know it's the mid middle of november so eight weeks yeah right 7 weeks yeah 8 7, seven weeks months, yeah. yeah so obviously Warwick wasn't really your first choice yeah so And you you did, really didn't think you wanted to do law and French. And now here you are, yeah. like second choice university doing law and French. Yes. So what are your thoughts as you're embarking in your first year of your degree? Are you enjoying it? Are you glad that you've been brought to this place, even though it was not, you know, it's not Cambridge? Because um, <laughs> or, or the, the, there was another uh, university you were looking at as well. Before. Yeah at
1: yeah. ucl i think ucl was my first choice yeah, yeah. because of the program itself and also yeah. the city of london wanted to experience a yeah a yeah. more vibrant city life but um i mean now that i've ended up in work, um i'd say that uh it's it's a really fun experience at the start when you get to see a lot of different people from different backgrounds um I think that, uh, I've been very lucky with, uh, the people who I live with, my flatmates, they're all very, um, they're all very, like, uh, nice and very forgiving in a sense, but I think, uh, I think sometimes, like in the conversations that me and my fatmates have like topic of like, oh did you come from a private school or a state school would come up? and sometimes and it's good that there's a mix because um, I, I'm sure Mary will give you a different story, but uh it's it's quite um interesting how sometimes if you say you're from a private school background, the others who from state school would give you like oh okay so you come from a private school like that these kind of uh glances I don't know but um generally you get on quite well but I think with the course I it was very much different from the school in Bristol where I had to basically find out everything for myself I remember in the first week um I didn't know that because we have seminars and lectures I didn't know that out there's a seminar sheet and I had to uh oh go through the the school website and go to the course page and like find it under each week there's a link that I have to download the seminar sheet for my to do whatever reading and then um, I also had to navigate through um uh, finding out the reading for this topic and I remember the first essay that I did um, the referencing people with the professors would just give you this online guide that is how to do this referencing which is 50 pages and then um you would have to like do the, the there wasn't really a course that like taught you how to do the referencing it was just a lady on the powerpoint keep on pressing it like at full turbo speed and she didn't even send the slides to us so yeah it, it was just very much like finding out for yourself and the and some a lot. i bet a lot of people didn't even know what the essay question meant and and it was just like kind of uh talking to you, talking towards you, and then you are expected to, like, obviously know how everything's going on. So it's very much different from A-levels, I would say. And to be honest, I don't think A-levels is a good uh it's a good call it's a good system that prepares you for university it doesn't really prepare you for the essay the type of skills that you need for university so um it was a bit hard at start to figure everything out but um you it also teaches you to be more responsible and like look out for different things yourself and but also with regards to the course that i do um it's very, very competitive. I would say even people in first year are looking for jobs already and people are saying, oh, you need to polish your CV. And there's basically um, webinars every single week about how you should write your CV, how you should approach this uh, a job interviews. And a lot of these things aren't even related to the course that uh, I'm doing because People want to be lawyers, but people want to be commercial lawyers, and commercial law isn't uh, a subject that's taught in first year yet. You have to be expected to know some sort of business or econ knowledge, and a lot of there's a lot of competition, so it's really hard to maybe disentangle yourself from competing with others. But um, I think, but also at the same time, I just try to stick with my friends and who have to share the same uh, views as I do and. we're just thinking that i think sometimes we need to relax i think it's it's a bit too much it's at times even though warwick isn't maybe one of the best law schools i don't know but even though warwick might not be the top like the top three law schools in the country i think just going into law you're already expected to be um like fully independent and having uh really aimed towards your career and uh, pushing out, out like putting so much effort into job hunting and like polishing receiver or something. I think this is a, such a big shock, I think, but um you I have to know and learn when to relax and when to actually stop and find the right type of people you surround yourselves with. and I think that will be a really it it gives you um, much better like much more breathing space with that but yeah that's that was my university experience so far but yeah wow
0: and I'm so glad you you have that space like you're able mm-hmm. Cindy to just go and you know what now I'm gonna pause and spend time with my friends and that you've got that sort of that sense of community and belonging because it's such a a big piece you mm-hmm. know we we I love I love um nature and particularly like the fact that we have seasons here in our country Mm -hmm. and the fact that autumn is an invitation to just naturally slow down because it's you know because there's more rainy days and it's darker Mm -hmm. and all of those things um and like that pace you were describing I was like oh my god it's just it's sort of like it sends you almost in a frenzy just hearing you talk about it so I love that you have those skills and uh, you know and that's that's all kudos to you I mean Mm. the fact that when we were talking when you when we were, you were doing your levels like the your sheer curiosity and your your openness and like asking questions and going oh, okay maybe i'll stop competing with myself like awareness and i'll stop competing with my peers and i'll actually start competing with myself um which you know there is a space for competition i think it's good to have a you know a, a bit of a we like to be stretched as human beings mm but not to the point where you feel like you're completely sinking right yeah. when when you were talking out the image that pops up for me is like being thrown
1: at the deep end of a swimming pool and yeah. it's
0: like and now swim
1: <laughs> yeah it's, it it seems very much like that um and it it does and it does leaves you to adjust to it yourself so yeah, I'm just glad that I was able to um get advice and also to hear it from you as well, Fabian, because, I mean, uh, it's it's really hard to not compete with other people and you need to know when is the right time to compete, when is it time to just uh, focus on yourself, something like that, yeah. Amazing. And well
0: done. I mean, like, I, I look forward to watching you and your journey and follow follow you know keep in touch if you're okay and just like hear more about your your beautiful journey because I you know and I know you'll be you'll be absolutely fine um (laughs) because because of what you've just shared with us I know that you know like the journey will be bumpy it always is Mm. like you know it's never straightforward it's always like ups and downs yeah Uh, but I know you've got the the skills to do just that. <laughs> oh,
1: thank you. Yeah, I I hope so too. But yeah, amazing.
0: So to wrap up, Cindy, I wonder whether you could share with us. Like, is there anything that stood out in that conversation? Anything you'd like to
1: us to take away? Um, I'd say that perhaps um it's really interesting that i found what about the uh the the way that maybe if you're in that sort cert- a certain path there's like more guidance or something that would push you to, could actually guide you towards the 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 main the main goal or something i think that part was very interesting and um i i would say that perhaps in everyone's uh academic journey it's it's also um important to perhaps focus on yourself sometimes a bit more and find people who who are in the same situation as you and share the same thoughts as you it will make the process much easier to like uh to take in and it will make it more easier to adjust to the uh adjust to the adjust to the uh, situation that you're being placed in because it's it, it seems quite impossible that you're going to change the system and how you're going to be able to like alter the situation so how the way how you fit into it and you it's much more um easier to like take it in if you have people alongside you to support you but also who you can like uh lean on and you can also share your feelings with at times and I'm glad I was able to um talk to you Fabienne as well because you were kind of like a therapist <laughs> to me when I was in A-level sometimes I would just pour out my feelings at that time during the application process and it was really great to have someone who were able to listen to me and also um practice French at the same time so yeah I was really thankful for that yeah yeah
0: well I'm glad it helped and and as I said, amazing that you could pour all of those feelings in you <laughs> So, like in a language that's not yours, like all kudos to you is just phenomenal. It just shows how, how, um, how advanced your level of French is, you know, to be able to do that. So, so very well, well done. Um, and I think what you point to is so, is so beautiful, right? It's this idea of, being able to know who we are so then we're not taken down a path that we may then regret later on in life Mm -hmm. Um, and also possibly surrounding ourselves like what you were talking the words that came up for me was like finding our community or our tribe or the people that um, enable us to be ourselves as well and support us
1: yeah yeah and sometimes it doesn't have to be people who do the same course as you you really need to like it's really good to have to branch out and get different perspectives from different people as well yeah
0: yeah it can be older people like myself right
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) totally
0: sometimes young people look at us older people and go oh no thanks (laughs) Um... (laughs) amazing Thank you so much, Cindy, for a wonderful conversation.
1: Thank you, Fabienne.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. You can also reach me, via Twitter, at Flourishing on LinkedIn, or you can join our private Facebook group, Flourishing Education. All the links are easily available on anchor.fm. Thank you so much, and I hope you are flourishing. Bye for now.